Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so you can better create products that your customers love. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. That's the RPM experience. This is the fastest way for product VPs and leaders to really help their product people, product managers and others responsible for developing products, creating new products and enhancing those products to get on the same page with each other, to work better together, to build trust and collaboration and build a foundational body of knowledge that they really need to accelerate their work. If you want to find out more about this, if it could help your team, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. Today, we're talking about confidence and how we can be confident, right? And how to unleash this. As product professionals, it is something that we need, especially as we try to influence others in the work that we do. That's very important for us. Joining us for this discussion is Dr. Joan Rosenberg. She is a cutting edge psychologist known for her work in communication, confidence, resilience, authenticity, and grief. She's frequently sought by media and companies to speak and train on these topics. She's also a clinical professor of psychology at Pepperdine University and author of several books, including her most recent book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. As always, if you want more details, a written summary of everything that we talk about, including a one-page action guide to put into the key takeaways that Dr. Rosenberg will share with us, Simply find those at productmasterynow.com slash 412. Joan, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I was really looking forward to our time together as I was just getting more familiar with your work and frankly had a little hard time preparing for the interview because there's so many things that we could talk about that I wanted to ask you about. I decided this topic of confidence would really be a good fit for listeners but not to sidetrack, just and maybe it's related. I'm just I would like to get your thoughts a little bit on this bigger topic in my head of self-talk and things that we tell ourselves that maybe reinforce good behaviors or not so good behaviors. And I'm trying to the last few years I've been trying to pay more attention to this myself and say things that serve me. But I'm not always successful. And in the past, I would be guilty of saying things like, I'm stupid, I can't do that, this isn't going to work, and things that might sabotage my attitude towards things. Can you just talk about self-talk a little bit? Absolutely. I actually, for me, it comes under the category of harsh self-criticism. And I will tell you, I'm not a fan of it. So I I actually think that harsh self-criticism is considerably more damaging than people believe. And it is, in fact, I, if I were to compare it, I, if I usually, what I will do is show a comparison uh, and I talk a lot about unpleasant feelings. So let's say we have unpleasant feelings and what I will now call harsh self-criticism. Most people think that they're equivalent. Mm. They're not. Uh, unpleasant feelings, it would land here and it do nothing to sabotage our experience of ourselves. But harsh self-criticism is like dropping 10 or 20 stories in an elevator just immediately and just take, it just takes you down. So they're not equivalent in any manner. And what I... The way I look at harsh self-criticism is that it's a distraction, actually, from unpleasant feelings. That, and here's the thinking behind it for me, that we don't control what we feel or that we feel anything. Not until it comes into our conscious awareness can we do anything to regulate that or to modulate it. And, but we do have a lot of control over how and what we think. And what I've found is that when somebody gets upset, they will quite immediately or quite quickly shift over to the harsh self-criticism side of things, ostensibly to take control of the unpleasant feelings that they were just in the process of feeling. So to your point, I was doing an interview similar to this, and 
I could hear the interviewer. He could not hear me. And he was on his keyboard trying to fix things. Then he was down below underneath and was trying to find the chords to fix. And I hear him say, I'm so embarrassed. And then without missing a beat, he says, I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. Uh. That's how quickly it happens. And that's where the damage gets caused. Because now, uh, in fact, I, I, I so here the I am embarrassed is, okay, fine, be embarrassed. It doesn't matter. I was chilling. He was, and those feelings are going to pass quickly. No damage done. The moment he starts to attack himself, damage done. And so I, I've, in, in last week, conversation with somebody, I realized that and have now started to classify harsh self-criticism as a form of self-mutilation. Okay, so this is very severe. That, that that's a I was very and I happen to think it's one of the things that promotes more depression and I also happen to think it has a big role to play in people becoming suicidal. Okay. So, one of the most damaging things people can do, the recommendation I would make on the flip side of that and this might go with another topic we talk about today huh? is to think, speak and act in the direction you want your results to be. And that's going to be positive, not negative. This may be completely inaccurate. The, the way about the brain is that it's a, just a pattern recognizer. If I'm telling myself that I'm stupid and worthless and you know, very negative things, my brain starts, I think, trying to associate other things to be consistent because it's just a pattern recognizer. And on the other side, as you said, think, speak, and act the way I want to be. It will, again, find patterns to reinforce that as well. Yeah, that's one of the roles. It's a, it's a, a, one a neuroscientist calls it an associational organ. One aspect of it is associational. So you're spot on in terms of thinking about it in terms of patterns. Okay, very good. Yeah, I have always felt, I remember being, and it was actually a college Bible study group many years ago, and we studied this aspect of self-talk. I think it was the first time I came into into this. And then in the last few years, been doing some more mindful sort of work to recognize things I tell myself that serve me better than other things. Right. So the thing to do when you catch yourself engaging in hard self-criticism or the negative self-talk is to then ask yourself what unpleasant feeling was occurring right before you started hmm. to do that. that. That's a good tip. Yeah. So we take control in the right direction, right? The direction Absolutely. that we want to go. Yes. So, okay. Yeah. And we may revisit this a little bit as we talk about confidence. You have said that there's five keys to unleashing our confidence and really interested to get into kind of what confident is and how do we build more of this in an authentic way, right? Not in the arrogant sort of way that some people can come off. Help us through this some. Sure, absolutely. And it came out of two questions I had as I was both growing up and into my professional life. Early on, I didn't have confidence. So the first question I was wrestling with was, how does somebody develop it? And as I got into my professional life, the second question emerged in terms of what made it difficult for people to deal with unpleasant feelings. And that was in my role as a psychologist. And it turns out in my mind that the answer to the second question about unpleasant feelings actually becomes the foundation of confidence. And a lot of my work is centered oddly around helping people experience and move through or handle unpleasant feelings. So the to start with then, the definition that I hold for confidence is that it's the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you want to pursue. So it gives you a lot of latitude. And it's not about the positive feelings, if you will, the pleasant feelings that enable us to do this. It's actually our ability to tolerate the challenges we face and the feelings that come with that as we're pursuing something or dealing with something. 
So my focus is on eight unpleasant feelings. And, and that's what I'm talking about in terms of handling the emotional outcome of whatever we face or whatever we pursue. And the eight unpleasant feelings, and this will be actually step one then, is to be able to experience and move through or handle unpleasant feelings. That would be step one of being on our way to confidence. And the eight unpleasant feelings I talk about are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. Key number one, I want you to be able to experience and move through those unpleasant feelings because that's going to that's going to contribute to your experience of confidence. And like I said, to me, that's the foundational element. The second is to be able to speak up with ease, which we can certainly unpack. The third has to do taking action. The fourth has to do with harsh self-criticism, which we've already started to look at. And then the fifth one, so in this case, we want to end harsh self-criticism. And then the fifth main one is to absorb or take in compliments, accept compliments really <laughs> quite fully. So those are, and there's more to it, but but those, if somebody really does those five, their experience of themselves is going to change quite dramatically. And interestingly enough, depending on how quickly they engage in it and how how kindly they approach it, uh, then it, it, they can experience a lot of, ch- actually, I would say quite a bit of change in a short period of time. Let's see how we can do for myself and for listeners in okay, the few great. minutes we have. Great. That okay. first one then, experiencing and moving through unpleasant emotions, and you listed the emotions. Right. And I think this is connected to the title of your book, right? 90 Seconds? Yes. Yes. 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. How, how do we do this? How do we move through those unpleasant emotions? So the what I realized, to, if I dig into it pretty quickly, what I realized is that, and from the neuroscience research that was coming out at the time, is that most of us come to know what we feel through bodily sensation. So when we're feeling something emotionally, we're actually more typically feeling it in our body first. And then there's this kind of nanosecond move to our awareness of, oh, I'm feeling embarrassed, or I'm feeling sad, or I'm feeling disappointed, or I'm feeling excited, or happy, or content. doesn't matter which direction the feelings are, but it takes us having some awareness of an experience in our body for most of us to be able to do that. And what dawned on me in terms of answering that question about why people find it so hard to deal with unpleasant feelings is that I realized that it was the bodily sensations we didn't want to deal with And that's the kind of thing that we would try to move away from. So when people start to drink or they use drugs or they shop or they gamble or they, I could go on and on in terms of all the different ways we distract from our feelings. It was all about really not wanting to experience the bodily sensation that helped us know what we were feeling. So the key here is to understand that what you want to be able to do is to ride what I would call bodily sensation waves. And it was Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, a Harvard-trained neuroscientist, who first made the observation that when a feeling gets triggered, that there is a rush of biochemicals into the bloodstream that actually activate the bodily sensations we're talking about, and they flush out of the bloodstream in roughly an upper limit of 90 seconds. So what I like to say to people is that if you can ride one or more short-lived bodily sensation waves that and just breathe into the process as you're experiencing a feeling, then you can stay present to the feeling and then the feeling you have those feelings to then link up with your thinking to help you make decisions, to help you take action or to help you express yourself.
so that we can actually then make use of the feelings we're feeling. And when you say breathe into, you literally mean to take time, recognize that this triggering this, and that there's this rush of chemical sensations is going on right. uh, in response and literally breathe into this. Slow yes. down your breathing, I, take deep breaths. Yes, deep breath. a nice deep, it, yeah, it could be a one or two a nice deep breaths. Think of it as, you know, it's funny, I have to find a kind of other equivalents for this. So for me, it's the equivalent of stubbing your toe. Right, you hit something. It's like oh, and you're in pain for the moment. You might even grab your foot or whatever it is, but you're probably taking a deep breath as you're leaning into holding on to that toe till the pain subsides. We're talking about it a parallel, really, from an emotional standpoint. You have you're having a quick reaction to something. There's an intensity to it, and if you breathe into that, you can stay present to the experience. And same thing, it's always going to subside. We'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. In just nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience, and you'll find them listed at productmasterynow.com RPM. Go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization. Very good. My university professor had on, I have some late night seminars, right, to do with students at times. And one exercise I do periodically is in the middle of things, if it's later, have everyone stop and just take three slow, deep breaths together to wake up our brains. Say, Mm. okay, let's stay engaged with each other, right? Let's wake up our brains a little bit because it does cause us to just be more aware of ourselves. And maybe, I don't know if it actually Absolutely. does wake up the brain or not, right? But I've seen a little bit of research on that says this is a good thing to do for us. Absolutely. And it does. The more aware that we can be of what's going on for us, the more obviously that we can be better, better emotionally regulated, if you will. Okay. Or, or we can modulate our experience better. Okay. So yeah. feeling, when that feeling comes, we first sense it as a, in our bodies somehow, maybe that tension somewhere that we feel and we, and we know we're getting tight uh, in our throats or someplace that's going right. on. Or if with embarrassment, you might see the redness, I would feel the heat yeah. of, so as an example, or sadness, sadness uh, might be a, like a heavy sensation in the chest for many. Yeah, heavy uh, sigh. Uh, right. Some people, when they get angry, I've had people talk about anger as heat in their arms or anger at uh, heat, anger is heat at the back of the neck or tightness of the jaw. So those are the bodily sensations, I'm, kinds of bodily sensations I'm talking about. Okay. And when we can recognize that easy enough, and then just remember that we need to slow down, breathe through this, and let that feeling come through us. Just like being on a canoe or something on an ocean wave, you want to ride the wave yeah. okay. of the experience. Yeah. And not ignore it, not push it off, not push it down, just Correct. ride the experience. Okay. Absolutely. That's number yep. one. Number two, speaking up and expressing yourself. Yes. This for me is really, it's prime. And if 
unpleasant feelings were not the foundation of my work, I would tell you that speaking up is. That's how important I think it is. And I think that speaking, our ability to speak with ease, and I'll unpack that in a moment, is is really the super glue to confidence. I don't think that people experience unwavering confidence until they're able to speak with ease. So what do I mean by that? That you can say what you need to say, with whom you need to say it, kind of when, where, how you need to say it, except there's one caveat. And the caveat has is that you it needs to come out in a kind and well-intentioned manner. So it does not give you, just because you've now found your voice, it doesn't give you a license to be malicious or hurtful in any way or to tell people the truth of what you, without their engagement in it and, again, from a hurtful place. So I do I want you to be able to do those things? Absolutely, yes. But I want you to be able to do that as you respect the integrity of everybody around you. And that's every everybody from a retail person to an intimate partner. So it's, it spans the whole gamut. And what I, again, what I found is that that... that our speaking, again, it's just, it. I actually believe, and I'm sure there's ways to now evaluate it and to study it, but I actually believe that it changes us molecularly, that we have a very different experience of ourselves when we feel like we can speak up and say the things that we need to say. And let me pause there because you may have some thoughts that can go on for a while on this. And I just want to make sure that I touch on things that are important for you as well. Yeah, I think this is very important itself, right? When we take action on anything, and especially if it's outside our comfort zone a little bit, right, it helps us to grow. And I can see how this is directly related to confidence itself. So not for this to turn into a self-help session, but I'll give you an example and maybe we can talk through it a little bit, right? So... Even today, if I'm speaking in front of a group, I will feel myself physically like I'm running out of air and I have to calm myself down ahead of time. And I always remind myself that I'm here to help the people I'm talking to, right? But there's still this physical reaction. Several years ago, I took a a special speaking retreat thing that I went to and we learned about how to formulate a speech and to deliver that and everything. And I had this problem at the, I was a 100 on the scale of getting in front of people, trying to speak and just couldn't breathe in that moment and having to work through that. We were all in small groups doing this. And the coach said, gosh, something happened in your past that don't know what this is about. But, and I don't know either. I don't have any idea that that was a, definitely something that has, I think, hurt my self-confidence along the way, feeling this inability at times to speak in front of groups. Now, I'm a person who does respect others very much. And when I do talk to them, as you said, I want to approach them in a way with integrity, talk through whatever it is, whether it's at a restaurant and saying, this meal, I know the chef tried hard and I appreciate you bringing it out, but it isn't quite right. Can we get this changed? Or if it's that more challenging, difficult with your boss or another customer or something. So I'm just interested in your thoughts on that, being able to get more comfortable speaking up when you need to and speaking with ease, which sounds like a beautiful thing. So here's the thing. The What I hear you describing to me is that you feel vulnerable when you speak and that it's the vulnerability that's creating that sense that you could get hurt that is creating the experience where you then go, oh, I don't, this is really hard for me. And then you stop breathing and you're getting into that nervous kind of panicky state or whatever, which a lot of people do. It's uncomfortable for many. But here's the thing. Here's the thing to think about. Difficulty speaking up is not a speaking problem. It's a difficulty with unpleasant feeling problem. So the reason I won't want to speak is because I feel, not only do I feel vulnerable and think I could get hurt, 
And you'll get more hurt when you don't have the ability to speak back up or to respond back because you'll feel more vulnerable. The It's understanding that what you're trying to do when you first start speaking is that you're trying to deal with the discomfort of your own emotional discomfort. Now, vulnerability is one of the eight feelings. Right. So you have to be willing to be vulnerable, to be in that state, to actually even speak in the first place. The second part of it, then, is that you have to be willing to experience the discomfort of someone else's emotional discomfort, those same eight unpleasant feelings, mine and yours, in order to have a conversation and in order to make a response to your... So it's everything about speaking has to do with your capacity to actually experience and move through those eight unpleasant feelings. Okay. If you don't handle unpleasant feelings, then there's going to be a reluctance to speak up. Okay. I know how important it is to be able to build great collegial relationships or you were mentioning the boss and maybe a promotion or whatever it is, that whatever you need to talk to the boss about. And so it's super important that you understand that your growth and your greater ability to, with ease, speak is going to come the more you develop your own capacity to handle unpleasant feelings. That's very helpful. It gets back to the first point, right? That recognizing that vulnerability that I would be feeling in that situation, breathing through that experiencing the feeling, and then be able to move on and still speak with confidence. Exactly. And what's interesting here is that the emotional outcome we're talking about, that people go, if I speak up, I don't want to be laughed at, or I don't want people to throw tomatoes or whatever it is, or walk away and go, that was a disappointment, right? That that we're talking about handling the other seven feelings. That's the hurt emotional outcome that people find when they don't want to speak up. So the again, we're cutting across the same eight feelings in terms of you handle that, you're going to be able to speak with much greater ease. Okay. Excellent. I'm glad we dove into that a little bit. And that was good coaching for me, which is the beauty of doing this podcast. And I'm sure some listeners found value in that as well. So next was about taking risks or taking some action. Taking action. So this is the taking literal action. Speaking, and we can think of speaking in a parallel manner. So I would say listen as you listen for how they are quite similar to each other. And in both cases, both speaking up and in taking risks or literally taking action. So let's say I wanted to go learn how to play tennis, right? And other people are going to be watching. Then I have to be, it's not that I am confident and then I go play tennis, it's that I play ten. I learn how to play tennis, and then I develop the confidence. So it's the repeated action taking and handling the emotional outcome. Again, if it's frustrating to learn or whatever it might be, then it's handling the emotional outcome and continuing to persevere that's going to make the difference. So in both cases, speaking and in taking action, you're not confident, and then you do the thing. So you're not confident, and then you speak. You're not confident, and then you take risks or take action. Instead, it's the other way around. You speak first, learn the messy quality it involves, deal with the unpleasant feelings, and speak again. Same thing is true with taking risks. You take the risk or you take action, and through the repeated action taking, dealing with the emotional outcome and taking the action again, that's how you develop confidence. So it's counterintuitive, and but it, it's going to take you put, being vulnerable and taking the risk first for you to be able to achieve it. This relates really well to my audience of product people because we're fundamentally innovators. And that means that we are always doing something, having to do something new. And in that, we're learning, making mistakes, learning, making mistakes, learning, right? right? Yes. Until we figure it out that you know what our customer needs for a product. Right. So we're used to that. And along the way, you know, knowing that things aren't going to work out right and this issue of, yeah, we're going to fail along the way. And that's 
We expect that because we are learning in the process. Which is a great attitude to have. Okay. This gets us back to the self-talk a little bit. You were talking about harsh criticisms as another factor of confidence. So for me, as we said at the top of the show, it's for me, I'm very adamant about people ending this as a practice. Some people think it's highly motivating to beat themselves up. I absolutely disagree. I think of harsh self-criticism as unbelievably damaging, and I really want to encourage people to stop doing it. And instead to understand that it's really a distraction from unpleasant feelings and it's an effort for you to take control of that process. And it's just hurtful. Do you have tips for taking control of that process? Again, with the thing that I mentioned earlier, it breathe, but also be aware that you're doing it and then make a conscious effort to either stop it or to go back to what unpleasant feeling underneath was prompting you to actually start to talk to yourself in that manner. I really do see harsh self-criticism as a distraction from unpleasant feelings. So the question to ask yourself more specifically is, what was it that was hard for me to think, feel, know, or bear that prompted me to then myself up? Think, feel, know, or bear. Know, or bear. Or B-E-A-R. Yeah. Okay. The prompting me that way. Okay. That's good. This phrase I shared earlier that I've just found helpful for myself is, I will stop myself in the moment and say, is that serving me well or not? Is that thought serving me well or not? That's great. You can do that too. So um, that's one that I've learned that just is helpful to me. Push the rewind button and think about how do I want to think about that instead? Exactly. Exactly. And once again, this is where I say, you want to think, speak, and act in the direction you want your results to be. Yeah. So I don't want negative results, then I shouldn't be talking to myself in a harsh way. Yeah, it's such a great point. Okay. And then your fifth one was absorbing compliments instead of deflecting them. Absolutely. What I found is, and here's the way to think about compliments, is that they're a reflection of you back to you. It's like holding up a mirror. Hmm. And people will speak out a compliment or give you a compliment from an experience with you or an experience of you. So they're, when they hold up that mirror to you, they're sort of holding your reality up to you. And when you dismiss them, not only are you dismissing the other person's reality, you're dismissing your, actually your own reality. So if I step out and away from that, what I found is that when you get compliments, and especially repeated compliments, then and you really allow yourself to absorb them or take them in, then what you're doing is you're having a way to up-level or update your sense of self or self-image. And if you don't do that, then oftentimes you just stay hooked into the same self-image that you hold of yourself or that you have held of yourself. And I don't think that serves anybody. And what's interesting to me, because people will go, I don't want to get arrogant, or I don't want to seem conceited, or I don't want... The truth of the matter is that people who seem arrogant and conceited are actually the opposite. They're, that's coming, all that blustery, I'm so great, I know all these people, or you should hang with me, whatever the compliment, however it is that they speak about themselves, I'm the best ever, that needs to tell you that 17 times is not feeling it. So what looks like arrogance and what looks like conceit is coming from a place of oftentimes more of a sense of inadequacy or a sense of insecurity. And so you've got to remember that that what you're seeing is of the opposite. And because my experience is people who are feel good about themselves have no need to tell you. They just they do what I call live good. And or if somebody looked at a Venus Williams or a Serena Williams and said, "Hey, are you a great tennis player?" and they went, "Yes, I am." 
they're telling you the truth and you're going to hear it as truth. And they're not going to have to repeat it 17 times. They'll go, yeah, I am a great tennis player. or and But that's where it stops. And then they go about their lives and live good. So it's the thing to really understand here is that taking in compliments really does make a difference in helping you update your Yeah, I like that. It adds to your self-image. We should stop and pause in that moment and take that in. Good. Just like dealing in the opposite way with the unpleasant feeling, recognize that you're having this experience and be in it for a moment to take it in. I think that there's probably many sort of common reactions, but I think when you get a compliment and you're not taking it in, some people might say, uh, that's not sincere or one's good at this, right? The, the, this thing that you're complimenting me for and, and kind of just let it go by. First, how can we help evaluate the not sincere thing? If this is a person I know and trust, I would think it would be wise for me to pause and take that in. Any thoughts on that aspect? There's a couple of reasons I think that happens. Many times people will play down the compliment when they experience the compliment as discrepant with how they see themselves. Hmm. And, oh, it was luck. Oh, anybody could do it, whatever it might be. And because they're not allowing themselves to see themselves in, in a positive light. Again, because they might think they would be seen as conceited or what have you. And it, again, I will tell you that is not true. I've never seen somebody who feels good about themselves. Like I said, they live good. They don't tell you that they're great. Yeah. They don't, it doesn't look like conceit. Many this And this is interesting. Many times people will go think a compliment is insincere if they give insincere compliments. Ah, interesting. So my thing is just allow yourself to hear the compliment and trust that it's coming from a sincere place. And if you're someone who gives insincere compliments, then I would say stop that practice and say what you really mean. Not give something that's insincere just to be, just to look like that's being nice. Because then it makes it harder for you to actually take in what's true. A friend that I meet with once a week as part of a little group, I was giving a compliment to recently, I guess over the last couple of years we were together, I've done this a few times. And he stopped and he said, Chad, and what I really appreciate when you give me feedback, you make it specific. And so I know that you're telling me a truth because you've made it very specific about that thing that I did well, not just saying, hey, great job. And I didn't even recognize I was doing that, frankly. I paused and went, oh, that's probably a good thing that I'm doing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it helps the person know, again, more specifically, what is making the difference. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, when you're, adding, when you're adding that detail in, then they have more information to work with. I appreciate the five points here, helping us to unleash our confidence. Something very important to us and doing this in a genuine way, not just positioning ourselves, not waking up in the morning telling us that I'm better. I'm, I'm you know, the, what was it, Gary Smalley thing on Saturday Night Live. I'm good enough. But an authentic way to unleash our confidence. And it starts with letting us feel the emotion that we're in the moment and right. just riding the wave, recognizing that's yep. going to happen, right? Uh, moving through that, speaking up for yourself, right? Speaking yep. up with ease when you need to. Taking action. You gave us the analogy of learning tennis, right? And as innovators, we do this all the time, right? Learn, fail, learn, fail, get better as we ending harsh self-criticism. So we talked about that negative self-talk and that we really need to take control of that. Recognize when that's happening and think differently about it. And then absorbing those compliments when we receive them instead of just pushing them to the side. It's so easy for many of us. So 
Appreciate all the insights. As listeners know, we also enjoy a good innovation quote around here. What do you have for us? What does that mean to you? A lot of people, Brian Tracy talks about failing our way to success. I think that we disappoint our way to success. So for me, again, what it means tied to our conversation throughout today is that it's getting used to the fact that we're going to hit points of frustration that become important as we proceed on any success, any journey to success. And so it's really allowing ourselves to to build that in to whatever we're doing to have that understanding that we're it's to anticipate that we're going to hit those points of frustration and disappointment and just to know that's part of the journey. And I think the second one for me is that we don't succeed alone. And so it's not we may have ideas and things that we pursue independently, but there's people around us and there's other people who came before us that helped us come to the ideas that we have or are supporting our endeavor to pursue whatever it is. So it's also holding in mind that we we never succeed alone. Those are both excellent innovation quotes, right? This notion that we will indeed run into frustrations and disappointments on our way to success, and we need others, right? This is not a lone wolf sort of journey that we are no. on. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing those quotes with us. How can listeners find out more about the work you're doing, this book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, and anything else that you want to share with us? The book can be found anywhere you buy books. I still, believe it or not, am finding it in different stores in Barnes & Noble. So Fantastic. Um, it's, phys- it's physically available in many stores and certainly can be ordered from there. Amazon, of course, carries it. And so it it's, can be found pretty much where books are found. That also includes, it's in uh, several languages. So I can say that it can be found in other places as well. The, and in terms of being able to make direct contact, if you go to drjoanrosenberg.com and, and you have an interest in doing that sort of thing, that, that there's should be a fair amount of information on my website. Plus, there's TED Talks, there's social media, those kinds of ways to also be in contact with me yeah, or to follow the work that I'm doing. We will make sure the links are in the show notes to make that easier for people as well to get to. Joan, thank you so much for helping us with confidence and spending time with us today. It was a total pleasure, Chad. Thank you so much. And listeners, just as a reminder, if you want the written summary of what we discussed and that one-page action guide to help you immediately put into action the key takeaways, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 412. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.